0: For you, by you. Broad Radio, here for more.
2: Hello and welcome to Broad Radio. I'm Jo Stanley and my co-host today is Zoe Daniel. And Zoe, we made it. We're on air
3: joe we made it and and good morning from melbourne lockdown mark five yeah i say we've got this
2: <laughs> oh
3: god don't
2: say it. it's one of the phrases that we're so sick of now aren't we it's supposed to be encouraging but it makes you go have we uh. <laughs> so we are coming to you on a friday morning because tuesday unfortunately our software just melted down and didn't want to play but that is modern life these days isn't it now that oh, good part of the australian population is in lockdown zoe we're going to have a lot more of that and people zooming around the place and you can't rely on technology what can you do
3: other than you know
2: keep putting one foot in front of the other that's exactly or one right. one
3: keystroke we made it we're
2: here that's right (laughs) we are here Um, we've got a great show for you coming up i wanted to mention pay homage in fact to one of my favorite people (laughs) Gillian anderson she's so funny and uh, i don't know if you're in this space because you're in lockdown but uh, she did a little ask me anything on her instagram and um, she made this admission which i loved lazy and i don't wear a bra anymore i can't wear a bra Nothing I can't, more. no, I can't. There's no, I'm sorry, but I don't care if I <laughs> reach my belly button, my breast reach my belly button, I'm not wearing a bra anymore. It's just too fucking uncomfortable. I'm so late. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I've got to say in lockdown, oh, underwear was optional for me.
3: Uh, absolutely. It's It's back to instantly reverting to tracksuit pants general active wear it all comes out of the bottom drawer then you also get online and go oh do i need some more active wear
2: mm-hmm. for the yeah. you
3: know the latest iteration of of lockdown that's what, right what else is there to do i, I did a gig
2: yeah. yesterday and i was like look at me wearing pants with a waistband this feels weird <laughs> it was just so weird. but anyway more power to Gillian anderson who doesn't wear a bar anymore she must have small boobs i think You can't, not everyone could do that. No,
3: and yeah, more power to her, but I think I'll, I'm not burning my bra quite yet.
2: Um, Just saying. Good to know. (laughs) That's good to know. Um, So another exciting thing that we want to announce on the show today that we are now bringing with all of our guests traditional place names to our guests guest titles, which we really love because we absolutely acknowledge that Australia always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And so by doing this, um, we really encourage all of us, I suppose, to explore Aboriginal history stories. There it is. Look at you. You're on Bunurong country, as am I. So we're just around the corner from each other. And um, it's just a joy to be able to explore Indigenous history and culture that way. So, and language, of course, very important. So uh, today on the show we are exploring and discovering the hilarious world of R-rated Needlecraft when Kate Aitkins from Bitchcraft Melbourne joins us. We're going to be learning our rights if we are injured in a public place due to someone else's negligence thanks to Morris Blackburn and in just a moment Zoe we're going to get your take on Julia Banks claims about the toxic culture in Parliament and the CEO of Gender Equity Victoria Tanya Kovac will be joining us bit of housekeeping at the top of the show if you are watching on YouTube it would be awesome if you could like and subscribe that's really helpful if you're watching on Facebook it would be lovely if you Uh, followed along with your comments and any uh, questions that you might have along the way as well. Um, And if you could like and follow us, that would be awesome. Uh, You can always catch up on any of our episodes via podcast, wherever you get your podcasts with Broad Radio on the go. And we always invite you to enter our More To Say poll. It's one question every week. And uh, this week, if you answer this very heated question, I mean, it's the hard hitting issues here, Zoe. The question is, do you go a bar of soap or body wash? What are your thoughts? Soap. I All the way. Cannot understand <laughs> it. I am a body wash girl, and I just can't fathom the bar of soap.
0: <laughs> Doesn't it feel a little
2: bit like you're in the depression? Like. <laughs> it's been
3: well, you know, I just don't find body wash all that effective, Joe. Maybe this is, no. you know, a generational thing or something. But also it could be a factor of having to travel to all sorts of weird places over my life. And often to those weird places, I have literally taken a bar of soap with me because you cannot guarantee if you're landing into a natural disaster, refugee situation, conflict zone or whatever it might be, that there will be soap. So carrying a bar of soap is a lot easier than carrying a bottle of body wash. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, so
2: now you have (laughs) brought the most unbelievable cred To a bar of soap, and that is that you have been in war zones. That is forgivable, okay? And it's the only time, and I I have this debate it seems often, (laughs) that's the only time that I think it's entirely fair enough. If you're a camper maybe, if you're in a war zone, sure, bar of soap. Fair enough, and now I, I stand corrected. For me, it's body wash all the way. Anyway, if you go to broadradio.com.au and you enter this very hotly contested question, this poll, you go in the running to win this beautiful Tencel cotton sheet set from Sleepmaker, 500 threat count, worth $539. How beautiful is that? So it's worthwhile having your say on this hotly contested issue. Now to something actually much more important. It has been just over a week since former Liberal MP Julia Banks released her book, Power Play, and we learned of what she says is a toxic and sexist culture in Parliament and the menacing and controlling behaviour from the Prime Minister and what Banks described as his bully boys. Zoe, what have you made of her claims? Well, I mean, it was
3: pretty revealing initially reading some of her claims, particularly about the demeanour of the Prime Minister, but also the the general sort of systematic takedown, if you like. I think that's what I found most revealing and also concerning about it. I, I can't say I was particularly surprised, but I think the way that Julia Banks outlines what happened to her in parliament or her claims of of what happened um is pretty stark
4: Mm.
3: and uh, yeah i think what really stuck in my mind the most and what concerned me the most is is that sort of um cancel culture almost of her uh, of how can we make her look weak Mm. um how can we make the fact that she's, for example, in the end decided to exit the party um, because of the way that she was treated and the behaviour of those around her, her fault. And I think that will resonate with a lot of women, particularly women who have sort of worked their way through the workforce into senior roles where they're surrounded by a lot of male culture, where there is a, a sort of deliberate if subtle but deliberate undermining of them because of their or related to their gender um, to somehow erode their credibility and their position
2: yes i mean i have witnessed it and i've I've, i think experienced it myself in The media that if you are outspoken if you are overly emotional then people just assume that that you're a bit unhinged (laughs) and you know you can't be Mm. trusted there's no credibility and you know uh, I suppose in a corporate world or a political sense you're not going to be advanced in your career if that's what people are saying about you.
3: Well yeah and this sense that to call something out is overly emotional Mm. um, or or unhinged um, and that for example, she relates the fact that Christopher Pine uh, and the others have reported this as well. That Christopher Pine um, commented that he was disappointed that she decided to leave the party because, you know, that was all that she would ever be remembered for. Well, I don't think that, um, but that that's you know, sort of inserting a view a, about her to to take the focus off what's actually happening in mm. our parliament in, in those leadership circles where the focus shouldn't be on Julia Banks, much as she's written a book about this, um, but it, it should be on the behaviour that led her to write, write that book. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing, Joe, that's interesting is that the fact that she's been able to step into this and put this book out is emblematic of sort of where we are in regard to this debate in a positive way. That you know we are actually having much more direct conversations about this stuff. It, it doesn't mean that that it's less polarized in many ways, and it remains controversial, and it definitely generates debate, and people have strong opinions.
2: Yeah, I um, we've been just showing this uh, photo of uh, Julia Banks in um, 2018 when she announced that she was leaving the Liberal Party, and I remember that so distinctly as, as a moment where I thought it gave me chills at how lonely a place she was in, and how they, not by accident, were turning their back on her. Um, very mm. nasty scenes, and and what she has gone through, according to her book, is really quite. I think. Um, must be quite traumatic. And as I said, when I watched what she was talking about and sharing her experiences, I did get a sense of familiarity to what she was talking about. And so um, I am really interested to hear from someone who knows a little more about how broadly this kind of culture exists. Um, I wanna know, is it worse in parliament than anywhere else? Because I think we all have experienced in many different industries, uh, that kind of behavior. So to discuss this with us, we welcome CEO, Gender Equity Victoria, Tanya Kovac. Hi there, Tan.
1: Good morning, Joe. Hi, Zoe.
2: Tanya, what is your observation? I imagine at Gen- Gender Equity Victoria that you hear of many different instances of uh, sexual discrimination and, um, and um, you know, gender inequality in workplaces. Is it worse in Parliament?
1: I spent 10 years as the Director and Chair of EMILY's List Australia, which brings um, progressive women into Parliament, helps them get elected. And my experience of having um, been involved in, in that organisation at a fairly senior level was that it's quite common for there to be um, gendered violence and, and incidents of sexual assault and sexual harassment within uh, in in parliaments. It's, it's not uncommon. Tanya, to what degree is this discouraging
3: women from going into the political sphere? And I, I, I wonder with the conversations that we've been having over the last few years, whether that is better or worse when it comes to encouraging or discouraging women from actually entering politics.
1: One of the things that became really difficult at the end of my time supporting EMILY's List Australia was I too had been a young, enthusiastic woman um, really interested in politics when I first started my involvement in a you feminist political organisation. But by the end of it, it was it became really hard to be as enthusiastic about young women who were really deeply committed to politics getting into it. Um, And I found that I found that more of a struggle towards the end, because by that stage, a lot of the blinkers around what was what actually happens in politics to women had been removed. And, you know, young women wanted me to mentor them. And I had to think, you know, what was this really going to mean for them? What was it that they would need to prepare themselves for if they were going to enter into this environment? And there's a lot, you know, they have to be prepared to cope with the, the attacks on their physical appearance. Um, they're held to an incredible standard around their physical appearance more than a man. They have to look absolutely stunning on a core flute Compared to a bloke, um, and in order to even get themselves pre-selected, they also have to cope with what I think is a fairly deep connection between, you know, sexual politics and politics itself. Um, you know, there are, it, it is true that life is easier often if you are in power couples, and you've got, you know, relationships that you that are across different groupings within political parties. And it can be a complicated minefield managing all of those sort of sexual and gender dynamics while at the same time trying to make an impact for public policy. And, is and, that- and just, sorry, Joe, I just want to follow up to say that because, you know, we tend to
3: think of young women entering politics, but in Julia Banks' case, you know, she, she's an experienced lawyer, corporate executive who entered politics, you know, with a sense of, well, you know, I've worked my way up this difficult um, male-dominated corporate ladder and yet she's still experienced all of the undermining. I mean, her stories of the pre-selection process are absolutely mind-boggling where she's, you know, just treated like a a child um, by a lot of the, the blokes around her So it's sort of a twofold thing, isn't it? Because it's not only those young, ambitious women who might think, yes, I have a future in politics. It's also these women with so much expertise and so much to offer who perhaps get to, you know, 50 and think, okay, there's a lot I could do
1: in leadership,
3: then go, nah.
1: In fact, Zoe, I would say to you that, my advice now would be that it would be far better for women to be older entering into those environments, um, in part because I think it is easier to manage it, to be stronger and more forceful when you're of a certain age um, and less vulnerable. But, you know, I thought it was really telling. Julia's biggest take comment, which I thought was very telling, was just how how much worse she thought the political environment was compared to the corporate environment, how there was so much more work to be done in the political environment compared to, you know, business in Australia that they just hadn't caught up. And I think that there's truth in that. We have a really bizarre Westminster adversarial system, um, you know, with an hour or so to ask questions of your representatives in Parliament that, you know, dates back two three hundred longer years and it's you know it's it's just not really fit for purpose anymore that structure and that adversarial approach is not really fit for structure and i think me, women are not just questioning their um how they're treated within that environment they're questioning the culture that creates that kind of environment and encourages it there's something weird about you know and it's basic I, I sometimes describe it you know that it's a bit like, you know, a bunch of kids in student politics heading up to a conference every, you know, every six weeks or so in Canberra where they think no one's watching and that mm. they can play their undergraduate games mm. and there's a there's a bit of that.
2: Yeah, it's, it feels very distasteful at, you know, the most minor version of it is very distasteful and at its most extreme obviously very very damaging and concerning but i feel as though it's not just the system it it's being exploited by people isn't it like you know they they're making use of the imbalance of power and that culture to manipulate women
1: look i think that we've there have been incredible strides in this space i mean you know, 20, 30 years ago, there were really no women whatsoever on the bench, um, not, no one on either the red or green couches. So the, there have been um, some political parties that have put effort into trying to tip the balance, um, but there's still gaps. and And I think, you know, the exposure... When you don't have a critical mass, when you don't have gender equal numbers, there's always a risk that the culture is not going to, you know, be gender equal, and that's what Jen Vic is very, you know, deeply committed to having conversations about why a gender equal culture is better for good governance, why it's better from a in terms of the financial and economic outcomes that you have why it's just better for even from an from an anti-corruption perspective. Um, there's heaps of research across the world now that says that gender equality is basically a much better tool for keeping governments accountable than anything else that we have in terms of um, st- structures within our system. How do you think the party political system contributes to this? Part of me
3: sort of wonders whether the the two-party system fosters a kind of gang mentality not only in regard to gender because you know a lot's been said about pre-selection processes and factions for example you know one of the things that's been brought up repeatedly of late is the rise of independence and the the power that independence can have on the cross benches in various ways is that a space for women to step into more and indeed many
1: already have and we're starting to see a bit of a groundswell in that regard i mean it's very interesting seeing how many women are choosing to go down an independent path but i i think that you know i think there have been changes i mean the labor party has significantly changed its um, commitment to gender equality it has a 50 50 target by 2025 and it's. It's not very far off achieving that target, so there's been culture change. That doesn't mean that there's com- that, uh, you know. I'm sure by the time Kate Jenkins finishes her investigation into Parliament, I don't think there will be a political party that is a clean skin in the reporting. Um, I think that that we're fairly confident that there will be problems across all of the of the Parliament. So, what is the systemic? What's the systemic issue? you know, we think we actually need to do a gender audit of the parliament. Let's have a look at the physical space. Let's have a look at the practices. Let's look at who, how the workforce is created both from a support mechanism, the supporting workforce, but also the parliamentary workforce itself and analyse whether it really is gender equal, you know, and what do we need to do to shape, to reshape it so that it looks like us now i don't Mm. see that we should be contained by any more by you know a a westminster system that you know isn't serving us in the way that it it should
2: tanya i always sort of look at um our parliament and think okay how does that relate to you know the people that i buy my groceries off and how does that relate to um you know my mum and my sisters and my friends and you know how do we make it matter because it feels like a disconnect, you know, and, and there's been a lot of rage this year and I know that you're running this campaign, hashtag enough is enough, but what can we do in our everyday lives um, and how can we, you know, establish change wherever we see this kind of gender inequality?
1: Well, definitely participate. Don't not participate. That's the first thing. You know, knowledge and is power, being able to understand what's going on in politics is pretty um, important because at the end of the day, everything that is decided there impacts on you. And look at COVID-19, you know, women, the first project that was t- chucked off JobKeeper was childcare. Um, women have got a lot to lose by turning their head away from being engaged in politics. Um, and I think you, we saw from the March for Justice that we know that politics is, is beyond just you know voting at the end of the day. You, sometimes it is called for you to either take to the street, um, go and make your face and your presence known so that you get heard. I don't think we'd have Kate Jenkins' report an investigation happening. I don't think that we would have a Women's Safety Summit happening in the next couple of weeks if it wasn't for the advocacy of ordinary Australian women who just said enough is enough. Like I, I just don't want the people who are dis- making decisions for me, you know, also being people who jerk off on a table. I mean, oh. who wants that? Oh, my God. <laughs> who wants that? Oh tell, I mean, it just beggars, doesn't it just beg the belief
2: that we're even having this discussion? Oh, but when, you just, mean, just, when you say it like that, Tanya, I, I somehow I had forgotten that part of this year's oh no, story. No, I haven't. I don't oh. know.
1: Oh like you know i'm just trying to think what other workplace any of us have ever been in where that would be like a you know and a, a it and i think there's something about the culture of there's something about the culture of the place mm. that is encouraging this lad culture this we're not we're untouchable um and i think that that needs to be broken down um mm. Yeah, it's
2: it's interesting. I don't know if you if this was your experience, Zoe, of the people in your life who may not be connected with politics generally. It was that story of the jerking off on the table that made like people who like you know my mum who maybe isn't so engaged. She's like, oh, that's enough. Oh, come on. Like you know that was that really kind of hit home for a lot of people. Did you have that experience, Zoe?
3: Well, I think there's a sense that there's no line. Yeah, you know, there's why is there no boundary? for our leaders when everyone else is adhering to boundaries. And it's a question of why are we adhering to decisions made by you for us when you're not actually towing any sort of line plainly. And it just erodes the credibility of the people and the institution. And unfortunately, I think that some people then engage more in politics, but other people just switch off from it because there's a sense of, oh, Mm. I just can't deal with this. So I I feel like that's what we're grappling a little bit with right now.
1: Zoe, don't you also get concerned that the the other end of this extreme is that people then pursue very extremist individualistic politics? And I think the integrity of some of the political class has resulted in there being a race towards a desperation of something else that is going to create the change. And and that's really risky. That's how you end up with Trumps. Um, because when they're talking, the, the the reason Trumps drain the swamp had um, resonance is because for too long people think have thought that politics is full of crocodiles who are not behaving appropriately who are dangerous you know and that the the recreation of that culture is on every political party mm. every political party has an obligation to ensure now that we have got a completely safe and equal parliament we have to because i how am i supposed to advocate for changes to you know laws in relation to family violence, um, ending gendered hate, crime? How are we supposed to change any of that if you don't have the integrity of the decision makers?
2: Yes. Well, it's up to us, I feel, at my level, because I'm not having any impact on laws, Tanya. What I'm doing and what I think every woman can do is, you know, maintain the rage. It's a cliche, but that's what we're here for, hey, to just say, no, I can make my voice heard. At the polling booth, and I can also just talk to my friends and say, "Well, we're not going to cop this anymore." Hey,
1: absolutely. And you know, we've got we've got a fantastic project. In fact, Julia Banks and Senator Trish Crossen, former Senator Trish Crossen. So we've got a Labor, former Labor MP, and a former Liberal and Independent working together on a project for us to safeguard women in politics. Mm. And um, you know, one of our first things was to try to get an investigation like. Kate Jenkins up and we're really happy that that exists, but we still need support and voices coming in to say, well, let's do a gender audit of our parliaments. And we're also looking at just how difficult online spaces are for women politicians as well. So journalists, as you know, Zoe and Joe. Cop a fair bit of abuse for being outspoken um, advocates, particularly if they start talking about women. Broad radio. I can't imagine, Joe, how many um, t- attacks you've probably started to
2: have. I from, think we're too doing... little so far.
0: Most uh, <laughs> <laughs> no right.
1: people know what <laughs> we're
2: doing. I'm sure it will come. <laughs>
1: it will come. You know, yes. we're con- concerned about journalists and sports mm. people, women who are in the public eye, and what, you know, when they're at targeted, what does that say? to young girls who are looking to aspire to them. Um, so we're, we're interested in pursuing mm. those part, projects as part of that work.
2: Well, thank you so much, Tanya Kovac, CEO of Gender Equity Victoria. It's been lovely to speak with you this morning. I'm sure we'll talk to you again sometime soon. You too. And I'm a body wash, peppermint <laughs> body wash. <laughs> I, <just see>? in, <laughs> I would have face that. Face. I'm happy that you mm. shared that poor old It's always been in a war zone though so i forgive the bar of soap there thanks for i'm hosting. an outlier i've always been an outlier <laughs> um okay we'll have more broad radio after
0: hey it's ryan reynolds and
1: i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th Do you want to tell people the big news
0: broad radio talking inspo we love info we need and sharing more of us watch and listen live every tuesday 9am australian eastern daylight savings time at broadradio.com.au or find us on facebook twitter youtube and linkedin at broad radio oz talk to us live call on 1300 8 broad Catch up on demand anytime, anywhere, every time, everywhere. On the train, we'll be here. 2am existential crisis, we've got you covered. Broad Radio, here for more.
2: Zoe, I don't want you to feel like we're ganging up on you, but already on social media today, (laughs) on Facebook, we've had an overwhelming love for body wash.
3: (laughs) I'm just curious, Joe. I I presume Saba Organics do body wash. So I'm going to be heading down to Chemist Warehouse after
2: this. Coincidentally, they do a beautiful body wash (laughs) and it's 100% certified organic. What more can I say? But... um, (laughs) Like I say, really? I acknowledge you've been in a war zone, which is the coolest thing I've, I've heard anyone say. And one day I must actually stop down and do a full interview with you about your career. We're gonna slot that into Broad Radio because you're just so incredible. And I pinch myself that we have you on the show. Um, but we do run this More to Say poll every week and we are asking about body wash and uh, soap today. But in the last week we asked the question, are you crafty? Um, not as in sneaky, but as in good with your hands. <laughs> um, do you do craft work? And I'm so impressed with the broad radio audience. Forty-seven percent say that they love their creativity and they're very crafty. Are you? Do you? Are you yourself? Uh, do you get into some knitting? Any sewing? Ab- your absolutely
3: <laughs> useless and hopeless at, at all of those things. And I actually I do think now you know my in my dotage. Um, that I wish that I'd learnt to sew when I was, you know, a teenager so that it, it would come naturally to me. My my kids, if they need something mended, they'll ask, oh, mum, can we take this to our friend, um, Min, who can sew because they know that I'm useless.
2: Yeah. we it. would be totally... lovely to be able
3: to sew well.
2: Wouldn't yeah. That not? yeah my best friend tanya is incredible with the sewing machine. everything she, she, she'll rock up and i go did you make that and she's fully wearing something that looks like an like amazing not, yeah not a horrific you know horror show that i would create <laughs> you know so yeah i we outsource all of our crafting in our house as well So we, so there's no shame but mm-hmm. while i'm not crafty i do love swearing So I'm excited, (laughs) I'm very thrilled to welcome Kate Aikens from Bitchcraft, Melbourne, introducing to us the world of R-rated Stitchcraft. (laughs) Hello there, Kate. Good morning. (laughs) I'm good. How are you both? Very, very well (laughs) and excited to meet you. Um, Why swearing and Stitchcraft?
4: Uh, It all started a couple of years ago. So Bitchcraft is myself, Kate, and my friend Katie. We met in Spain probably like 13 years ago. Uh, And she was hosting a Greatest Morning Tea. And uh, so she put on a beautiful spread of baking and she's like, come over, we'll do some cross stitch. I'm like, awesome, cute. I haven't done that since I was like maybe nine years old. Um, But I'll show you what it was that we stitched. It's
2: not really manner approved. It says, I, I can Fuck only make thing. out. What's it say? Fuck this what? Shit. <laughs> this shit. It's a
4: little bit of how we're feeling about lockdown right now. Um, and, yeah, we were just doing it over a couple of glasses of wine and we're like, this is awesome. And so we're like, let's, let's make it a thing. Um, so we've kind of just expanded it. Most of our patterns are quite crass and um, we found... Yeah, obviously no one planned lockdown but we found it actually got a lot of traction when people were inside over winter wanting things to do um it's something that's quite like mindful like it's a lot of counting and stitching but you get like a lovely curse word product at the end of it um so yeah that's sort of how it all became
3: oh. you know obviously we're back in lockdown again now so people are going to be like oh this might be very relevant um over the next couple of weeks but you know what what is your background with craft and and sewing and stitching you know is this something that you've been into over your your life and you you know you reference like I haven't done that since I was a kid so is there a bit of a nostalgia factor there for you?
4: Yeah definitely my mom was always super duper crafty she was a quilter and a knitter like she'd always be in front of the tv doing something and I think just something about that I guess transferred to me um so yeah my background I actually went to university straight out of high school um but the highlight for me every year was this architecture ball that would happen and every year I'd design and make a dress um and yeah I just found that just being creative just nourishes my soul and then from there I went on to do a fashion degree and then yeah, so I've always just had sewing, crafting. Um, I love doing things with my hands. Um to the left of me at the moment, there's actually a dog ramp I just made on the weekend for my dash hound puppy. Um, so, yeah, just being able to do something with my hands in front of the TV. In fact, I was actually just starting a cross-stitch uh, while I was waiting <laughs> to come on. Um, so, yeah, it's just a really great thing that I guess has just always been in our life. But um, I feel like, you know, Stitching flowers on a doily is not really our vibe. Um, I think anyone who's met Katie and myself know that we're quite potty-mouthed.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I too am quite potty-mouthed to my daughter's horror. She's 12 and she's of this generation where she's like, "Mom, such a rude word. And I'm like, how did I produce this? But <laughs> the thing that I love too is that there's a real history, I think, of, you know, sewing circles and knitting circles where women would get together and it would be almost quite a subversive thing, you know, at a time when often women weren't able to um, speak about any kind of activism publicly. Is there an element of that for you?
4: I think the reason why we started it is, well, I guess it's kind of fun to be of a little, like, fuck you. But it's also, you know, as you get older, it's a little bit harder to go out and meet new kind of like-minded people. So I guess... Um, I mean, we've called it Bitchcraft, but it's really open to everyone of all genders, but we do find typically it's women. But um, we were at an event called Sheila's Shakedown earlier this year, which is um, just this amazing event. with It's pretty much all typically women and they all just ride motorbikes and they just don't give a fuck. And we were asked to do a session there. And I can't remember the lady's name who I spoke to, but she was talking about how uh, cross stitch and crafting, it used to have like hidden meanings in what they were creating to communicate with each other, like these secret codes. And I'm like, didn't even know that, but that is bloody cool. Uh, so it's it's nice to know that the history of crafting kinda has that little subliminal messaging in it. Kinda just makes it even more fun.
3: Well Kate, okay, I, I think the word of the week this week is shit show. And I'm just curious what ideas you have for, you know, future um, designs and words that we can, you know, stick up on our mantelpieces, uh, especially in this, you know, continually evolving COVID situation, which, you know, you can use lots of different rude adjectives to describe, frankly.
4: Uh, I actually just posted one to our Instagram, this uh, one that I was working on. This is actually the finished pattern. We <laughs> uh, may have tagged a couple of our <laughs> new politicians in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is so gross. I don't know what I'm you <laughs> about it. But, yeah, I just love show, it. and I can <laughs> definitely make a like a dumpster fire collaborative pattern to <laughs> commemorate the last what, like eighteen months or so.
2: What I love is imagining an elderly lady, very genteel, you know, getting down to her stitch craft, but that's what she's actually creating. Have you, have you had, you know, that sort of older generation who traditionally might love the, the craft world, but also embracing language that might not be uh, so traditionally theirs?
4: Oh, I wish I had a copy of it. There's a really funny meme that went around. It was a lady on an aeroplane stitching something. like, And she looked, you know, like quite older but it was just like a completely rude cross stitch I'm like that's the best but at one of our first classes at um we were hosting them in a pre-pandemic world at Noisy Ritual in Brunswick East and um you know we have a very open door policy and this lady came over she's like what like what are you working on and we're like oh this and she had a look at the patterns and she pissed herself laughing she's like oh my god I have to show my partner his mum was always a massive cross stitcher it. You know, she was super religious. She would absolutely die if she saw these. And I'm like, good, we're doing it right then.
2: <laughs> I love it. It's so great. Um, well, I embrace language like this. I don't know about you. Are you much of a swearer, so? I think people who know me well
3: would say absolutely. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and you can, yes. we can purchase your patterns, can't we? Yeah
4: so in a non-pandemic time we do teach classes um, and we keep them pretty small just so we can teach people the basics of cross stitch um, and best enjoyed over a glass of wine but our patterns are online at our website bitchcraftmelb.com and we're also on Facebook and Instagram which is bitchcraftmelb and if you'd like to you know check out our classes in a post-lockdown time I guess we'll post all the information there when we can we were supposed to host a class this weekend which unfortunately mm. won't go ahead but you know we'll just stay in and cross stitch and stay safe
2: I, I personally think it's the perfect thing if you're organizing like a hen's afternoon sort of like a hen's lunch or something mm. like a novelty gift it's like the most joyous thing to sit yeah. down and just be stitching away nice cock I think that's awesome
4: I love it. Well, instead of having, you know, penis-shaped everything, you could just have (laughs) the cross-stitch. So, yeah, that's something we do. And uh, they also make really great gifts for people. So if, you know, there's someone you like or maybe someone you don't like, (laughs)
2: we'd make it. Oh, it's so great. Thank you so much, Kate Aiken from Bitchcraft Melbourne. It's been a joy to meet you.
4: Nice to talk to you both too, and I am a soap and body wash gal. Controversial.
2: You oscillate between the two. Uh
4: I have to wash my hands with soap when I get into the shower, but then I'm all about the body wash because I just find it a bit more gentle and it just smells so good
2: do you know what i actually i would like now that we're talking about crafting and sort of all this artisanal art i want to mention that there are some beautiful handmade soaps out there by local artists and i really love that actually i don't want to i don't want to betray our our um artist community by suggesting we should always go to body wash <laughs> you've reminded me of that yes. there kate yeah.
4: Bye.
2: okay thanks so much i will have thanks. more broad radio okay. after this uh, Well, here at Broad Radio, we've been working with Morris Blackburn Lawyers since we began in January, actually, bringing you information about your rights, because we're all about empowerment here and knowledge, of course, is power. So, today we're gonna to be talking about public liability and to do that, we welcome the head of public liability at Morris Blackburn Lawyers, Dimi Yuanu. Hi there, Dimi. Hi, Joe. thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. I've got to say, I'm kind of vaguely aware of what public liability is because I'm a business owner, but if I wasn't someone who owns a business, I might not even know really what public liability is. Can you explain it to us?
0: Sure. That's a really good question. Um, It's really important that um, all businesses and organisations take out public liability insurance, Joe, because it protects their business if they are being sued. Uh, It covers people who, it covers their cost of a legal defence, but it also covers people who are not able to, who have been injured as a result of an accident and they will need to ultimately pay out compensation.
2: But what we're talking about is say, I'm an individual, I may be in a public space, somehow I've become injured through because of someone's negligence basically.
0: Yes. Well, at Morris Blackburn, we see very broad and wide cases. Uh, Some of the common types of cases we see um, in in our public liability department include your uh, slips and falls in supermarkets and any other retail outlets, dog attacks. For example, if you're walking your dog in a park and your dog attacks another patron, they can potentially look at suing you under your home and contents insurance, boat and water sporting accidents, uh, sporting injuries, food poisoning. We also see cases that include accidents occurring in rental properties, uh, tripping on a footpath or any other public place, physical assaults that occur in pubs and nightclubs, and bicycle accidents that do not involve a vehicle. We also look at product liability claims and what that means, Joe, is that for example, if you were to purchase a bike and that bicycle was faulty and you suffered a serious injury, then you can potentially look at suing the manufacturer and supplier.
2: Okay, so we all, I think, have heard of people, if, if it hasn't happened to us, where someone slips on a chip you know in a in a shopping center um that's an instance where you're going to really investigate what's available to you for public liability but if it's someone an individual versus an individual what's the cover there for through my house
0: and contents insurance well that's correct um so we don't normally pursue claims against individuals uh we always look at claims against a company or an organization. Um, and that is because a company and an organization always takes our public liability insurance uh, to have protection, to protect their businesses against claims made by third parties.
2: You know, I've heard a lot of stories and you read about the craziness say in America, right? Where someone has drunk a, a coffee that's way too hot and they've sued the cafe. Um, we hear those stories a lot. Is this what it's like in Australia? Are we a particularly litigious society and, and what's available to us?
0: Well, fundamentally, uh, we operate under the same system, which is a common law system. But in Australia, and in particular in Victoria, where I practice, in order to pursue a public liability claim, there are certain thresholds that apply. And you do need to show that you have suffered a significant permanent injury, but also you need to prove that that there was a third party at fault and that that person or company failed to provide you a safe environment and caused your injury.
2: Okay, so that's fairly specific. Can you give us some examples of cases that you've worked with?
0: Sure. I can give you a particular case example in relation to a food allergy case that I was involved in, which was re- which was quite sad. Um, and, and in this case, um, my client's wife attended brunch with her, fr- with her girlfriends mid, mid-Saturday morning. And um, she specifically, uh, when ordering her meal, told the wait staff that she was allergic to dairy. Unfortunately, uh, she was given the incorrect meal because there was a breakdown between the kitchen and the wait staff. Um, As a result of this, she was given a dairy meal. Uh, She suffered an allergic reaction. The ambulance arrived, but unfortunately, she passed away in the ambulance 45 minutes later. And when this client came to see me, uh, Joe, it was never about the money. Uh, He wanted to tell his story, he wanted access to justice, but more importantly, he wanted to educate the community about food allergies and for people who worked in the hospitality industry.
2: You know, I feel like that's a really common story that I've heard in all of my conversations with Morris Blackburn this year, that people want to know that it won't happen to anyone else
0: well this particular client continues to advocate in in public forums in relation to allergies and anaphylaxis and he keeps wanting to raise this important public safety issue because he doesn't want another family to endure what he went through.
2: So when someone experiences such an incredible loss like that it's it's really important to know that you don't have to just be a victim around this that there is opportunity for some kind of compensation um are there other instances that you can share that's maybe something a little bit different a little bit surprising
0: yes i was also involved in a very sad bullying case and in that case uh, my client experienced a uh, severe bullying by classmates at school and she suffered a serious psychological reaction to the point where she was hospitalized she was being victimized and bullying online and on various other social Platforms, uh, including you know, cyberbullying, is, is a very, very big uh, issue uh, in Australia at the moment. And uh, the school was notified in relation to the ongoing bullying by the mother. However, it continued. Uh, and in this particular case, the school failed to provide a safe environment, but also more importantly, they failed to adhere to their to their bullying policy that they have in place. And uh, you know, schools have a responsibility, Joe, to keep children safe. And in this case, they breach their duty of care to my client.
2: So they were able to make a claim?
0: Yes, they were.
2: You know, what I find really fascinating is that um, whenever you are, you know, in business or at any time when you're dealing with the public, of course there's a duty of care, but I suppose that people don't really put that much emphasis on it, but the law is there to remind you that people matter.
0: That's right. The law is there to protect you and to also let you know that you have a right to pursue a claim where you have been wronged by, especially when it's by a negligent third party who has caused you to suffer significant injuries.
2: Have you seen changes in some industries or, or shifts in, in you know, the way that we kind of go about our businesses um, because of claims within public liability?
0: Yes, we have, Jo. As I mentioned, uh, in relation to the earlier case study uh, in relation to food allergies, uh, the federal government called a public inquiry into uh, allergies and anaphylaxis. And my client and I uh, co-drafted submissions that were put forward uh, in relation to this inquiry. And we were both called uh, to provide those submissions at the public hearing, which we attended together. And um, one of the recommendations we made was that we wanted to see greater safety measures put in place uh, in in hospitality and venues. Uh, But also it was really pleasing to see that one of the submissions was accepted, which was to provide greater emphasis in food services and food preparation training on allergies and anaphylaxis. Uh, Because one one of the strong submissions made by us was that lives depend on it more than four million Australians live with allergies um, including many young children so you know making a mistake um, can be deadly.
2: Also when you think about the hospitality industry so many of the workers there are young and they don't want that responsibility they don't want to know that they may be causing harm on someone.
0: That's exactly right. And that's why we advocated for greater training to be put in place in how to in how to prepare food for those people who do suffer an allergy. Um, You know, one of the recommendations that we also made was to have an EpiPen um, in all hospitality venues. Uh, uh, So if someone does suffer an allergic reaction, there's an EpiPen on site in case in case the individual doesn't have one in their bag or it's expired so um, it's really important that there are greater systems put in place for those people who suffer with allergies in Australia. Mm.
2: Demi, I've thought this many times over the last six months that you in your profession must hear some pretty difficult stories to hear. How is that for you?
0: We do hear a lot of uh, very sad cases um, you know, and, and it's evident by the two case examples I gave you earlier, um, but we um, at Morris Blackburn, uh, we have um, EAP that's available to all our staff um, where we attend you know, uh, uh, twice a year or, or on a need basis uh, to be able to share our stories, but also to be able to speak to someone about the, the sad stories that we are dealing with.
2: Well, I'm really appreciative of the time that I've spent with you and uh, everyone at Morris Blackburn this year. I've learned a great deal and most importantly, I've learned that um, to get advice because we shouldn't be fearful to find out what our rights are.
0: That's exactly right, Joe. Um, at Morris Blackburn, uh, we offer a first free initial consultation, so it doesn't hurt to get advice and then make a decision later as to how you want to proceed with your claim. Um, there are time limitation periods that apply, so you don't want to be statute barred in bringing a claim forward. Uh, with public liability claims, you only have three years to make a claim, or if you are a child or a person under disability, you have six years to make a claim. But more importantly, um, I always say to my clients, if you have suffered an injury, it's really important that you keep a diary of all your out of pocket expenses, the list of treaters that you've seen, um, if, you've, if you're experiencing financial hardship and you're unable to work, to keep a list of all the days you've taken off work, but also more importantly, take photos of where the accident occurred. And if there are witnesses, please take their names and numbers because they are very crucial in your claim.
2: Well, as always, that is absolutely brilliant advice. Thank you so much, Dimi. It's been really wonderful to speak with you.
0: Thank you, Joe.
2: Well, Zoe, it's been delightful to share this show with you. I'm glad we finally got it to air after our disasters earlier in the week <laughs> but it's allowed us to announce this beautiful thing which I'm so excited by which is the unveiling of this amazing statue of Nova Paris and uh, that's in uh, Melbourne's Federation Square. Um, it's such a beautiful statue and I didn't realise that Nova Paris was our first Aboriginal Olympic gold medalist. I didn't know that when she played for the Hockey Roos. You know, it it feels like
3: not very long ago
2: that that happened,
3: which is making me feel quite old (laughs) because Nova Paris has done so much. Like, really, what an extraordinary athlete and person. You know, two sports, successful in both and then to go on to a career in politics and to be a very prominent woman in our society and an Aboriginal woman at that. And it's just awesome, amazing. Yeah, and also, you know, Joe it goes to the need to not only showcase our Indigenous high achievers but also our female high achievers when it comes to sporting statues. And I know our friend Ange Pipos is very keen on this conversation but you know there there aren't actually very many statues of our female sporting greats and there should be more
2: no absolutely it obviously is important that we get as us- you know, parity in our statues as we would like to see parity everywhere else in society. And in fact, this particular statue is a part of a campaign by two amazing artists, Gilly and Mark. They started Statues for Equality and they basically work around the world to establish more statues of women. In Melbourne, only one and a half percent of the statues that we have in Melbourne are women Um, and I'm not sure Australia-wide what the figure would be, but I'm imagining it wouldn't be much different. So that statue has been created by Gillian Mark in conjunction with Yorta Yorta and Ja artist Jandamara Cad, and it's really beautiful. I really love it. Do you know what, though? I've just done some research around the uh, games, which start in seven days. That's crept up. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe I it. I know.
3: I know, my, my son is the sporting expert in our family and, I, and then the other day I was like, when are the Olympics again? Mm. I mean, I feel like everything's so out of whack because of COVID and of course, you know, the Olympics aren't supposed to even be happening this year because normally I would be right on to that. I love the mm. Olympics. I, I will sit there and, and watch it obsessively. Um, You know, Joe, maybe we'll be still in lockdown by then. So then we can just watch the Olympics around the clock. No, no, I'm not wishing that on on us.
2: (laughs) No, but there was an amazing story in the conversation today, actually, around uh, gender equality in the Olympics. And these are things I didn't even know. And like you, I've been watching the Olympics since I was a child. Um, Did you know that this is the first year that women will be competing in the 1500 metre freestyle? Like until now, it's only been eight hundred meters. I didn't even know that that there wasn't a female version of the Great Kieran Perkins race. What? Right. So- <laughs> so-
3: Which, uh, uh, and that now that you mentioned that race, it's so funny because as soon as you mentioned fifteen hundred meters, I just think of that race, yeah. and that also makes me feel old. But the other <laughs> yeah. thing that makes me feel old is that I did cover the Olympics um, in Greece. Uh, that was one of my sort of highlight assignments in my earlier journalism career and no i had absolutely no clue that that there was that disparity um around female athletes and the sort of marquee events so you know yeah. look, baby steps still but yes. at least we're seeing some forward movement
2: yeah that's right so they're saying that um for the first time women will be given more prominence or the same prominence, let's say that even, the same prominence with their competitions and the broadcasting. And in the apparently in the last weekend, it's almost all male sports usually, because apparently, mm. I don't know, are they bigger ticket items? How? Dumb. So yeah, they're saying that's gonna, <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna change, which is really great. But let's just remember two things that this article highlights, which is that the leadership in the IOC not a lot of gender equality there. And also when you look at the way women's sporting events are reported and commentated, it's often speaking about aesthetics rather than the athletes and, you know, infantilising and and, uh, sexualising often the women who are, let's face it, the world's greatest athletes. Absolutely.
3: And, you know, harking back to our lovely friend, Ms. Pippos, Mm. Uh, she wrote an article this week that I 100% agree with, which is we are women, we are not ladies. Mm. So male sport commentators, take note, every time you speak of the ladies, you disenfranchise your entire female audience who feel very undermined by that kind of language. So just change it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That was a ripping article from our friend Angela Pippos on the siren.com.au, which is an awesome publication. Check that out as well. It's been delightful as always, Zoe, to share the show with you. Always a pleasure, Joe. Enjoy your lockdown. (laughs) Oh, my God. Should we we go back to bed? Is that what happens? Oh, my God. And good luck with that. And to everybody in the country, actually, who's in lockdown and dealing with remote learning, Godspeed. We're thinking of you.